Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of The Thatcher Effect, a top 10 Utah Utes podcast. In today's episode, I'll share my thoughts on the Pac-12 media's preseason poll and what I thought of the conference's media day from last weekend in Las Vegas. Plus, an update on the best win bracket is coming our way. This week's matchups are going to be fun. Let's go. This episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. Be sure to use code VSN for $20 off of your first purchase. To start off the show, as usual, we'll get going with this week's headlines. Pac-12 Football Media Day was this last Friday, and Utah was picked to finish third in the conference behind USC and Washington. No real news about the media rights deal other than it is close to being done and that the longer the conference has waited, the better the deal has gotten. More of my thoughts on media day are around the corner. The running Utes left for Spain earlier this week as they embark on an international trip that will feature four exhibition games. The team will play two games in a three-day stretch in Barcelona, one game in the Bay of Biscay, and a final match in Madrid. I'm interested to see how this team will come together in these beginning days of the next season, so I'll be sure to update you next week on the games that have happened. Now, as I said, I'll go back to Pac-12 Media Day from this last Friday in Las Vegas, and I'd like to start off with the preseason media poll that was released uh, a short time before Friday's events actually kicked off. USC was picked to finish first in the Pac-12 with 25 first-place votes, followed by Washington with four-place votes. Utah was picked to finish third with six first-place votes, and Oregon fourth with one first-place vote. After those top four, it went as Oregon State in fifth, UCLA in sixth, Washington State in seventh, Arizona in eighth, California in ninth, the Sun Devils of Arizona State in tenth, Colorado in 11th and rounding out with the Stanford Cardinal in last place at 12th. Now, there were a lot of media personalities that obviously agreed about USC being number one, and they have good reason. You have the returning Heisman contender, a a top 10 college football head coach in Lincoln Riley, and a lot of returning talent, plus an inload of transfer talent from around the country coming to California. And USC has... Uh, I mean, they they had a great season last year. Besides those Utah games, they played great games. Um, I'll talk about my reasons for why maybe USC would should not be in that top spot and why Utah probably should have been in that top spot. And that's from a non-Red Goggles perspective, just looking at the basic facts. But my thoughts on why Utah was picked to finish third instead of first while being back-to-back champions. I think there were two main reasons. The first, and I spoke to it last week, was Cam Rising's injury. Um, Cam is such a pivotal part of Utah's offense. He is the lifeblood of this team. We've seen it time and time again. Uh, I think we first saw it at the beginning of the 2021 season. Charlie Brewer was a good quarterback, but being at the San Diego State game in person in 2021, there was a different vibe when Cam Rising checked into that game in the second half. Um, the team seems to rally around him more. He's got a different type of competitor energy than most quarterbacks do. He has that dog mentality. I think that's the only way that you can describe Cam Rising, a.k.a. Thick Boy 7, personal favorite nickname of mine. But the ACL injury in the latest Rose Bowl has cause for concern among most media members. And that's because they've seen what Utah can't do when he is not on the on the field. And I think the latest example was that Rose Bowl against Penn State. Utah was doing fine against the Nittany Lions, albeit it was a low-scoring affair. But the Utah offense 
was only getting going because of Cam Rising's ability to escape the pocket and find some open receivers downfield at times for some small um, yet explosive plays. But then when Bryson Barnes took over the offense, just flatlined, they weren't able to get a first down. And then when the defense made a few mistakes, it caused massive plays for Penn State to score and eventually win that Rose Bowl. Now, Cam Rising, again, he's coming off of that ACL injury that just happened earlier this year. And even though I myself have not come across an ACL injury, those things are not easy to come back from. And from what I've heard, the type of injury that Cam Rising sustained is also not easy to return. But Cam Rising gave multiple updates at this Pac-12 Media Day saying he is on track. Kyle Whittingham did say that the timeline was going to be coming down to the wire. Now, a lot of people were thinking, does that mean Cam Rising is not going to play any sort of football until the first snap against Florida? No, I don't think Kyle Whittingham would even allow that to happen, especially it being the type of schedule that it is this year. Utah has to get, uh, in my opinion, an unbeaten non-conference record in order to be considered for playoff hopes, which is what Utah is wanting to do this season, as stated by both Cole Bishop, Cam Rising, and Coach Whittingham at Media Days. But he said it was going to come down to the wire, and from past comments by Coach Whittingham, that basically means it's going to be probably the middle of fall camp when Cam's going to be getting some reps, and then he can get warmed up to play a down of football. Um, I think it'll be interested once again to see how the hierarchy goes for QB2, QB3 um, up on the hill. And that's mainly because I don't, as of right now, I don't have confidence that Cam Rising will be fully healthy for 100% of the season. It'll be awesome if he can play most of these snaps, if he can play most of these games, but I'm not expecting him to play all of them. In fact, I'm guessing for that third game, um, I don't think we'll see Cam Rising play, especially after playing Florida and Baylor on the road. Cam Rising is going to be probably pretty beaten up, and that's because although Florida is predicted to be a middle-tier SEC team, they're still an SEC team, and that's going to come with the athletes and physicality that naturally comes with that conference. But I wouldn't expect Cam Rising to start against Weber State at home. Um, and if he does, I don't think he'll get much time. That way he can have a little bit of rest, rest the knee before we get back into conference play. But going back to the original point, that is the main reason why Utah was probably picked to finish third is because of that injury. Cam Rising is the focal point of this Utah team. When he goes down, I believe the team goes down. And the media is not wrong to think that that should affect their preseason poll. The second, and I think the other main point, was the strength of schedule for Utah. There's no doubt that Utah has a top 20 toughest schedule in the country. And when you're playing 11 Power 5 opponents, that, that's going to do it for you. Also, the fact that Utah plays all of the top talent in the conference. Um they only skip, I believe it's Stanford and Washington State. So you have a middle-tier Pac-12 team and uh, the team that was picked to finish last. You avoid those teams. And when they do play the toughest teams, they're playing Oregon State on the road on a Friday night. They're playing USC on the road. They're playing Washington on the road. So I think it's, it's, it's super tough for Utah to really run the table this year. They have the talent to get to the playoff. I don't think there's a doubt about that, but the schedule is going to prohibit them from probably um, going undefeated or losing only one game. In my personal opinion, I think they'll lose two games um, 
as of right now, my belief is that it will be the USC game and the Washington game. I think another interesting point was made by Kelly Ford on Twitter, and he does a ranking system for many different um, uh, players, games, teams. He rates um, matchups, and that's specifically what I'll talk about right now. He's been rating the quality of matchups uh, week by week for the upcoming college football season. And he tweeted out a few days ago, quote, in the early projections for the best games, while it's SEC heavy, I'm looking at Utah. Through five weeks, the first five weeks of the college football season in 2023, the Utah game has ranked second. This is overall in the country. Second twice, third overall, and sixth overall, plus that non-ranked game against Weber State. He goes on to say the Utes have the potential to be the story slash team of the year through the first half of the season. He's 100% correct. As per his metrics, the Florida game in the season opener is ranked as the second best matchup in the country in week one. The Oregon State game, uh, and I believe that's week five, is also ranked second in the country. And that's a, that Friday night game up in Research Stadium. It's newly renovated. That game is my dark horse game. That should scare the living crap out of Utah fans. If you are not scared to go play Oregon State this year, you need to do your research because that's one that Utah needs to absolutely prepare with certainty to go and win that game on the road. The Baylor game, that ranked third in the country for the week, and the UCLA game ranked sixth. Utah has a gauntlet. And once again, UCLA, uh, on my metrics, they're picked to finish sixth in the conference. And I believe, yes, in the preseason media poll, they were also picked to finish sixth. It is going to be so tough for Utah to get wins. Again, they have the talent to do it, but it's going to be tough. I think there's um, maybe two weeks, three weeks, where Utah can maybe coast. And I know Utah's not the type of team to coast through preparation, but just saying through talent on the talent that they're going to face they will have to prepare week in and week out to go through a gauntlet. I'll just quickly recap what that schedule is going to look like for our listeners. They open up with the season opener uh, against Florida at home. Uh, Florida has not traveled outside the state for a non-conference game, I believe, since the 1990s. Um, Florida, again, predicted to be a mid-tier, lower-tier SEC team. They lost a lot of talent, mainly star quarterback Anthony Richardson, who got himself drafted in the lottery in the NFL draft. Because of what he did against Utah, I believe that one game personally put him up in the lottery of last year's NFL draft. Second week, Utah goes to Baylor on the road. Once again, predicted to be a middle-tier Big 12 team, but it's on the road in a Power 5 conference. I I just don't think you can overlook that team in the slightest. Third week, Weber State. That's when you can coast, 100%. UCLA at home, picked to finish sixth. They could definitely be higher. I see no problem with that happening. But it's Utah at home, so again, I'm favoring Utah. Then you go to Oregon State six days later on the road, night game at Reeser Stadium. Again, that should scare you. Then coming home, uh, you have a bye after that game. Then you're going to have Cal at home. I think you can coast in that one. Um, but once again, Utah's going to prepare, but I think you can coast. USC on the road, that's going to be a gauntlet. Oregon at home, got to prepare for that one. ASU at home, that one I'm leaning on coasting, but once again, Arizona State is a team that could definitely surprise. Washington on the road, once again, that's my games to watch because that's when I'm predicting Utah will lose come season time. Arizona on the road, this one is tier 
it's on the tier for a dark horse game, but I'm not really seeing it that way. I still think Utah can coast, but Arizona has got a good thing going right now. And then they finish with Colorado at home, which by I believe at that point in the season will be coast coastable, if that makes sense, <laughs> um, to finish off the regular season. So that is a brutal schedule for Utah. So if you combine Cam Rising not being fully healthy and you look at what Utah has to face, I don't see a problem with Utah being ranked third by the media members. Now, why should USC not be number one? I've got some, I've got an issue with that. And I think the number one reason is the defense. For us Utah fans, we personally saw what you how bad USC's defense was last year in both games. Um, Utah obviously struggled in the beginning of the game at Rice Eccles Stadium, but really got things going in the second half. If you're allowing a tight end to go 16 for 16 and almost 300 yards, man, I think you really have to look at what you're doing schematically on the defensive side of the ball. Once again, as a Utes fan, that was incredible to watch. Super fun. That game alone put USC, I think, uh, second to last or at least in the bottom five of defense against tight ends. That one game alone against Dalton Kincaid. But now they're bringing back defensive coordinator Grinch with uh, most of the talent. Um, and like I said, they're bringing in some transfers from across the country but they still have the same coordinator. The fact that USC kept their defensive coordinator after what happened last season is astonishing to me because, and I heard this earlier on uh, the Bill Riley show. I'll, I'll mention Brett Ciancia of pick six previews a few times in this episode, but USC is the equivalent of Iowa. They're just opposite. Iowa can't score for their lives. USC can't stop their opponents from scoring for their lives. Yet Iowa is the face of all these memes. They're the laugh of the country because they're a power five program that just cannot score the ball. Yet no one is talking about USC. And, but in, in the other hand, they're all talking about USC making the college football playoff with the same defensive coordinator that allowed so many missed tackles against their biggest opponents of the year. And especially in that Pac-12 championship game, I understand it. it. This was also a point of, uh, I think, a, a, to a main topic that was asked to the Utah players and Kyle Whittingham was, well, you know, if if Caleb Williams wasn't injured, you know, we backed over probably be in the uh, in the college football playoffs last season. Uh, USC lost to Tulane in the Cotton Bowl, so I am kind of glad that they missed that playoff spot um, going off against uh, Georgia. That would not have been fun. Uh, but USC is has the same defense. It's just, I don't get why everyone is so high on them this year. Nothing has really changed. And I am totally open to changing my opinion once I see it in an actual game. But USC's defense was incredibly bad. And they lost to a Tulane team. They lost to a Utah team that had some men down. but. Utah and Tulane were able to find a way to make it happen and get some great wins. But if you're having USC as a playoff caliber team, I think it's the only reason would be your offense and your ease of schedule. USC is a top 10 easy schedule in all of college football. And I think that that's probably what's going to take them over the edge. So 
if Utah wants to make it to the playoff, you have to beat USC. That's just the, that's the only way I can see it happening. Um, but as I mentioned before, Brett Ciancia of Pick Six Previews was on with Bill Riley earlier today on ESPN 700. And he mentioned that it, according to his metrics, the Trojan defense last year was second to last in all of Power 5 football. And yet again, we're picking them in the top four. Like, I don't know what we're doing as national media to think that USC can make a top four. In my opinion, I think Washington is better set up to succeed with the type of talent that they have on both sides of the ball than the Trojans. And I'm really excited to see how all of these matchups, how all these standings come to be. The top five of the Pac-12 is amazing. Um, And you can even extend that to the top six. I think it's interchangeable, uh, especially in the top four of the conference. I think any one of the top four, USC, Washington, Utah, and Oregon, can finish first. I'd love to see Utah three-peat. Uh, who wouldn't? But I wouldn't be surprised if anyone in the top six was ended up with the, with the trophy at the end of the year. Um, but yet again, I believe the Pac-12, as mentioned in Pac-12 Media Day, is the deepest conference in quarterbacks. And I also think just as a whole. Um, after Pac-12 Media Day, I think that you can see that there really is, it's not a top-heavy conference per se. You've got really great teams up at the top of the league. In fact, I believe that USC, Washington, Utah, and Oregon will all be at least top 15 teams um, when the first AP AP poll comes out at the beginning of the season. The SEC and the Big Ten have the best teams in the country at the top. There's no doubt about that. Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee. But the bottom of the conference is so bad. Rutgers, uh, Vanderbilt. It's just, there's such a disparity in those conferences, but no one talks about it. Because again, if the top part of your conference does really well, who cares if the bottom part of your conference is only winning one game? And I understand that Colorado is coming off of a crazy rebuild, but I believe Coach Prime can get four wins out of that Colorado team this year. I think Stanford will get at least three or four wins as well. And I don't see a team only winning one game this year out of the Pac-12. I think from top to bottom, its depth is apparent, and it's apparent especially at the quarterback position like I mentioned earlier. Um, This is going to be a fun year to watch quarterbacks in the Pac-12. You have the Heisman returner, in Caleb Williams. You have my personal Heisman favorite in Michael Penix for Washington. Cam Rising, obviously for Utah. Bo Nix, another Heisman candidate for Oregon. Oregon State, DJ Ungulele, transfer from Clemson. Um, Washington State, Cam Ward, a fantastic quarterback to watch. Arizona, Jaden Delora, really coming into his zone. He's able to extend plays. He's got a great arm. I love what he's doing out there. Arizona State, uh, I believe they got Drew Pine from Notre Dame. They got Jacob Conover from BYU. Uh, Some really good transfers. Uh, Colorado, Shooter Sanders. So from top to bottom, I think the conference is really set up to be a great quarterback conference. Um, And so I'm really excited to see how that goes for the Pac-12 as a whole. I think they'll get good ratings. I think they'll be great games um, every single week. So I'm interested to see, as I mentioned in last week's episode, how that media deal will shake out and how much um, the media – reveres what the Pac-12 has to offer this coming year. But 
listen, I think Utah has the case to be picked number one in this preseason poll. Back to what I was talking about before. They're the back-to-back champion. They're returning with a majority of their talent. Most of them are stars. And the defense is older than what they were last year. They had a rough start, but they finished off really well. Top 25 defense. And Utah actually has a kicker this year, which I believe affected at least that Oregon loss in Eugene. In my opinion, Utah should be picked to finish number one because they're the back-to-back champs. They are number one until someone takes them off. And they have not lost anything major other than Dalton Kincaid and Clark Phillips. Yet, Utah picked up an excellent transfer in Miles Battle from Ole Miss. And the tight end room is as stacked as ever with Brant Keithy, the star before Dalton Kincaid, and he'll be the star after, along with Thomas Yasmin to back him up. I will, as long as Andy Ludwig is at the helm of Utah's offense for the next few years, I will never doubt that the Utah tight end room is less than the top five tight end room in the country. So I think Utah should be number one. As I said before, I can see why USC was picked to finish first. But Utah should be the top of the conference. We're the back-to-back champs. The trophy is in our room. You have to beat us to get it. But we haven't lost too much, and I think that's why Utah should be at the top. Um, According to the remarks made by George Klyovkov at the beginning of the Pac-12 Media Day on Friday, um, he did make mention about the media deal. And he did say that the longer they wait, the better the deal gets. And that they're planning on releasing and coming together with that media rights deal around the same time that they were originally planning. Uh, The press conference itself was a little subpar, in my opinion. Uh, George Klyovkov, although he comes from the entertainment industry, didn't come off as an entertainer. And that kind of disappointed me, especially after watching Big 12 Media Days and seeing Brett Yormark Yormark really come off as a personality. Um, George Klyovkov was... it, It just felt neutral. It lacked energy and it didn't really give us anything new other than apparently that the deal and um, certain media rights members are slowly coming back into the conversation with the PAC 12 as time continues to go on. Um, If you want to hear about my thoughts on the current state of the PAC 12 media rights deal, be sure to check out my last episode as I go in depth onto why streaming is not that bad of a deal into why Utah will be fine as a school themselves, no matter what happens, and that it shouldn't really affect recruiting. Um, and that I think the Pac-12 is going to be fine, not great, but fine moving forward. That's kind of what the feeling that I got from George Klyovkov as he gave his introductory press comments um, to the media last Friday in Las Vegas. The second one was the talk of expansion. The Pac-12's plan is that they'll get their media rights deal. It'll be a short-term plan a few years at most, so that way they can expand and then secure a new rights deal because they've seen what's happened with the ACC having a media rights deal last until 2030. Um, The Big 12 also lasts for a a considerable amount of time with a decent payout, but the Pac-12 is wanting to expand that number. They want to increase that number of revenue that they're getting, and the quicker that they can expand, you can guess it that the quicker and higher the number is going to be in terms of income for each school in the conference. Um, San Diego State was mentioned a few times. Of course, the commissioner was not mentioning any school by name, 
but that they do have candidates um, in mind and ready to go when that time comes for the conference. Mark Harlan, the Utah AD, reinforced Utah's commitment to the Pac-12. And it was interesting to note that he came on stage with the commissioner and the associate commissioner to talk about the youth's commitment and where the athletic directors are coming from, where each single school is coming from and their point of view with this media rights deal and with the state of football as a whole. Um, I think Mark Carlin's got it down. I am totally fine with Utah being committed to the Pac-12. The college football playoff is going to expand uh, starting next season. And the way that it is currently formatted is that if you are a Power 5 champion, you will get an automatic bid. Meaning, if you're at the top four highest-ranked Power 5 champion, you will get an a buy in the first week of the college football playoff. You will be a top four seed. If USC and UCLA leave, I believe that it'll be between Utah and Oregon and Washington every year to fight off for that Pac-12 title. You're taking out two major contenders in the Southern California schools. So if Utah and Oregon and Washington are winning at least one of those three every year, you're going to have probably two Pac-12 schools in the playoff every year. And I think if Utah stays in the conference, they'll have a great chance to make the playoff on a yearly basis as long as Kai Whittingham is at the helm. And, you know, he's got five or so years left, probably maximum. So... Utah, you want to stay in the conference. And I love that the athletic director, Mark Harlan, reinforced that commitment at Media Day. So Utah fans, we have nothing to worry about. I think it's going to be a great future. Um, No real new comments out of Kyle Whittingham. Um, I think there were some interesting thoughts by him about the state of college football as a whole. Obviously, we know that his thoughts on NIL is that it should be regulated uh, more to increase the equity and equality among uh, power five teams and just college football in general. Um, He also mentioned that offense is more important than defense in today's age of college football, which I also think is very interesting Um, for years and probably the entirety of Kyle Whittingham's tenure. We've heard that the defense is what wins you championships and a media member brought that up to Whittingham during his press conference. And he said, well, actually the statistics will tell you that the offense is more important than the defense. So to hear him say that was actually Really intriguing, but I don't disagree with him in the slightest. That is also a reason why USC has picked to finish first in the conference. They do have a really good offense. Washington, really good offense. Utah, really good offense. Oregon, really good offense. Those are the four teams that are picked to finish at the top. So I don't disagree with Kyle Whittingham, but I was really interested in a lot of his remarks. And you can be sure to check those as well as the remarks of Cam Rising and Safety Cole Bishop at Pac-12.com, and Utah Athletics also was able to tweet out on their social media platforms. Now, to finish off uh, this week's episode, let's go over the best Utah win bracket. And this has been so fun, guys, so thank you so much for participating. I've gotten a lot of participation, and to see your guys' comments and responses has been truly amazing. Just a reminder for the listeners, the best Utah win bracket is a 16-seed tournament that faces off, in my personal opinion, the best Utah football wins of the 2000s. Each week, I release two matchups from the bracket with a highlight reel from each game on Twitter. And you can make sure to follow me on Twitter at NateThatcher15 for all of these updates. I then create a Twitter poll and let the fans decide which win moves on. So this last week's matchups was the two-seed Fiesta Bowl versus 
the 15 C 2004 home opener against Texas A&M. Um, some were calling that this was unfair that I pitted the two games that were from the 04 season against each other in the first round, but I feel like I've seeded them correctly. I put the Fiesta Bowl versus Pittsburgh as the number two seed because it's the original BCS Buster game. Um, that is literal college football history. You also have Alex Smith, um, in a lot of people's opinion, the greatest or second greatest Utah quarterback of all time. It's his finale game before he's picked number one in the NFL draft. It's also the transition era. It's the end of the Urban Meyer coaching era into the Kyle Whittingham era. Urban Meyer put Utah football on the map. And although he was only there for a few years, he is what revitalized the program. Ron McBride was the face of Utah football for years. But Utah football was average. Uh, they got the occasional win versus BYU, and that was the highlight of the season. Urban Meyer made sure that Utah football was a name to be known. And with this win against Pittsburgh, that was to be assured. An undefeated season and a fantastic win out at Sun Devil Stadium. And who can forget that hook and ladder play with Steve Savoy, which was, I believe, only the second time used in official NCAA and NFL football in the history of the sport. Um, and you can go watch that highlight. You'll you'll see that uh, Brett Musburger was saying, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. So there's your proof. Fantastic game. The 2004 home opener versus Texas A&M. Some people were wondering why I had this on the bracket. The reason why I have this is because this was the tone setter for that undefeated season. Utah was coming in ranked, and they had never been ranked in the preseason before the 2004 season. They started in that game ranked 19th, and they just dominated from start to finish. Alex Smith was a little bit shaky at first. He kind of overthrew some players. But after that, it was a complete blowout. And those highlights are extremely fun to watch. Rice Eccles was bumping. But that was the game that set things going that entire season for the Utah Utes program. So that's why I have it as the 15 seed. That's why I have it um, in the bracket. And the Fiesta Bowl versus Pittsburgh moved on, no surprise, with 83% of the vote. Um, so it was a little bit closer than I thought it would be. But once again, the two seed will be moving on to the second round. In the next matchup that I had, I had the seven seed 2021 Pac-12 championship game versus Oregon against the 10 seed 2013 upset versus number five Stanford. Now, the 2021 Pac-12 championship game is, I think, in one word, magical. It's Utah's first ever Pac-12 championship victory after two losses, especially the last one that they went to in 2019, that if Utah had won, they would have been in the playoff. They probably would have gotten smacked by the LSU Tigers, but they would have been in the playoff. And that's something that you can brag about. Just being there alone, you can brag about. But beating Oregon in 2021 in that championship game was, I think, a night that Utah fans will always remember. Um, like I said, it was the first ever victory for Utah in the championship game. Uh, Utah had just blown the doors off of Oregon two weeks prior when Oregon had playoff hopes, and Utah smoked him at Rice-Eccles. And a lot of critics in the media were saying that Utah couldn't beat Oregon twice in such a short time period. But Utah ended up doing it uh, way better than I even predicted. I thought the championship game was going to be close. In fact, you can even go back to previous Thatcher Effect, the, the Thatcher Effect episode. I believe it's for all the marbles is what it's titled. Um, that's the one that Richie and I did before that game. And we both thought that this was going to be a close game. Utah came out, blew the doors open again. 
they won that. And it was a home game for Utah. It was completely, it was a red sea. It was amazing to be in Allegiant Stadium that night. I, I just don't think there's any way that you can forget that as a Utah fan. That's my seventh seed. The 10th seed is the 2013 upset versus Stanford. Uh, this was the second five and seven season for Utah. Um, and they were led by a young Travis Wilson. And Travis had some, he was really spotty in those, in those first two years as quarterback. Um, obviously 2013 was the year later on in the season. He would go on to get that major concussion that almost ended his career. Um, but this game was once again, magical. Stanford was ranked number fifth in the country and they were the powerhouse of the PAC 12. Um, Hogan was such a great quarterback for the Cardinal, but Utah's defense was did really well on that Stanford offense. Um, other than Montgomery's kickoff return for a touchdown, Utah held Stanford's offense to, I believe, only two touchdowns uh, the rest of the game. And to see that happen was incredible because, again, Utah finished five and seven. But I think this showed that while Utah was lacking the talent depth, from making it farther in the conference that their starting roster could go with the best of the best. And that goal line stand um, is once again, a moment in Utah football history that most of us will remember for a long time to come. Fantastic game. The 2021 Patrick championship game versus Oregon won that matchup once again with 83% of the vote. So the seventh seed will go on to face the two seed in the second round. This week's matchups, super excited for it. It's the 3C2022 blackout game versus USC against the 2018 Holy War comeback for the ages, as well as the 6C2008 blackout game versus TCU against the 2010 blocked field goal versus BYU. The 2022 blackout game versus USC is, I believe, a top three, um, if not a top two matchup ever to happen in Rice Eccles. Um, but because it's the three seed, I technically rank it as the number one Rice-Eccles game of all time. Caleb Williams and USC get going off right from the get-go. And Utah's playing catch for the most part. I never thought that Utah was ever going to catch up to them because I thought, yes, Utah will score every time from here on out, but so will USC. But the Utah def defense made a few critical stops that helped aid Utah to slowly come back and win that. And the two-point conversion for the win was electric. Um, it is one of my deepest regrets and desires that I wish I could have been there, but it was just as amazing to watch it on TV. That's going up against the 2018 Holy War comeback with Jason Shelley and Armand Shine. BYU is up 27 to seven in the third quarter, but Utah ends up coming back and doing it in such dramatic style. And I think the play-by-play -play call is fantastic. When I post the highlight, when Jason Shelley runs it in for a touchdown, I just want you to breathe in what Fox was giving us that night in that broadcast. Amazing game. The other one is the 6C 2008 blackout game versus TCU. This was probably the seed that gave me the most complaints. Uh, they said that the six seed was too low. This 2008 blackout game, it's once again a tone setter. It's a top five matchup uh, or just a top three matchup at Rice Eccles all time. This was the original blackout game. I understand all of those feelings. This TCU game was once again very important for the second undefeated season in Utah football history for the team that would go on to win in the Sugar Bowl versus Bama against a really good TCU team with quarterback Andy Dalton. But this 
this game was not, I, I can't, for me personally, I don't see it just beating any game ahead of it. I still think it's a fantastic game. That's why it's a top six seed. Keep in mind that all 16 of these games are the top 16 games of the past 23 years. So this is top six. That means it's pretty good in my opinion. Sure, you can make a case to make it top five, but I have it at six. Fantastic game. That's going up against the 2010 Holy War game against BYU when Utah blocked the field goal to keep the win. They won by one point. There's no better way to describe it. Just a fantastic finish. So as I said before, be sure to follow me on Twitter or X as it is now being called at Nate Thatcher 15. Friday afternoon, I'll release the matchups with highlights and the poll, and it will close next Monday. So be sure to vote by then. Thank you all for listening. That's it for this week's edition of The Thatcher Effect. We'll see you all next week.